0: Hear the word of our Lord from 1 Kings, the 21st chapter. Now Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard in Jezreel, beside the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. And after this, Ahab said to Naboth, Give me your vineyard, that I may have it for a vegetable garden, because it is near my house, and I will give you a better vineyard for it. Or if it seems good to you, I will give you its value and money. But Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. And Ahab went into his house, vexed and sullen because of what Naboth the Jezreelite had said to him. For he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed and turned away his face and would eat no food. But Jezebel his wife came to him and said to him, Why is your spirit so vexed that you eat no food? And he said to her, Because I spoke to Naboth, the Jezreelite, and said to him, Give me your vineyard for money, or else if it please you, I'll give you another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. And Jezebel, his wife, said to him, Do you now govern Israel? Arise and eat bread, and let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal, and she sent the letters to the elders and the leaders who lived with Naboth in his city. And she wrote in the letters, Proclaim a fast, and set Naboth at the head of the people, and set two worthless men opposite him, and let them bring a charge against him, saying, You have cursed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. And the men of his city, the elders, and the leaders who lived in his city, Did as Jezebel had sent word to them. As it was written in the letters that she had sent to them, they proclaimed a fast and set Naboth at the head of the people. And the two worthless men came in and sat opposite him. And the worthless men brought a charge against Naboth in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth cursed God and the king. So they took him outside the city and stoned him to death with stones. Then they sent to Jezebel, saying, Naboth has been stoned, he is dead. As soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money, for Naboth is not alive but dead. And as soon as Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, Ahab arose to go down to the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite to take possession of it. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. So before we get into our main topic and article readings for today, let's talk about cancel culture. What is cancel culture? Well, there's a presupposition that there is a set of morals that if violated uh, by speech or by action, whoever violates these morals should be deprived of their ability to make money, fired from their job, uh, maybe rendered unemployable for the rest of their lives, and generally made to feel pain and shame. And no amount of groveling nor apologizing will really uncancel a person. I've been cancelled. It sucks. You do gotta grit your teeth and bear it, because the cancel culture is a culture. It's a culture of snitches and witch hunters out there who try to find these uh violations of the presupposed neoliberal morals and they will go after absolutely anybody as long as it is profitable or juicy for them to do so now it does have to be motivated because while there is the presupposition of neoliberal morality you know you never said anything racist you never said anything um, against the LGBTQIABBQ groups and you never said anything uh, about misogyny or anything against women or anything against our well, our greatest allies, right? Even if you never did somebody will find a way to cancel you if it means taking somebody that's way up here on the totem pole and knocking them down so somebody else can take their place or somebody, uh, maybe you could get some money out of it. Or maybe it causes controversy and gets clicks and advertisement money. There's always a motive behind the canceling. And it's not all, it, like we said, it's a, a presupposed neoliberal morality, but underneath it is a kind of political and economic opportunism. Nobody is canceled President Barack Obama to any sort of effective extent over having uh, said things against the gays back in the day. Nobody's canceled him over Jeremiah Wright, his former pastor. People can be mad about it, sure, they can be so, so, so mad. But he's not canceled because nobody's actually made this man feel any sort of economic pain or career pain. Now, cancel culture, though, can, it can, it can be vicious. Because oftentimes stuff is made up all I mean, we, we all remember Kobe Bryant, right? Uh, the rape accusations against him where he was found innocent, but it still made a mark on his career, didn't it? It happens all the time and nobody is safe from this because anything you can say will be twisted or twisted around in some sense and anything you do will be twisted around in another sense to make sure that you look bad, for whoever it is that's trying to cancel you. Enter the church. And the Christian church, the body of Christ on earth, has this really nasty habit of trying to be, be water. That takes the shape of whatever container it's in. And the church, of course, that means if there's some sort of political system that she's benefiting from, she'll advocate for it like God himself has proclaimed that uh, whatever political system she benefits from is the divinely inspired system. This is why conservative Baptists have all but proclaimed that the Constitution is Scripture. In fact, Mormons went ahead and just did that. They just went ahead and proclaimed that the Constitution is Scripture. Divinely inspired. Yeah. And other times, I mean, this can be across the spectrum, though. People out there claiming that Donald Trump is some sort of double messiah or second messiah to go alongside Jesus. You say, Jesus is your heavenly messiah. Donald Trump is your earthly messiah. Silly, stupid things like that. And on the left, that happens, too. Because, uh, heaven forbid, the, commun- the uh, Catholic Church in communist China should ever speak out against God's anointed one, Xi Jinping. This happens. And culturally, it happens too. So churches out there who are more or less apostate, they apostasize from the faith in order to teach whatever neoliberal morality, they'll just go ahead and do what their culture does. They'll do the whole sexual revolution bit. They'll do the whole cancel culture bit. They'll do everything that makes them look like nice little drones for the powers that be. Conservative churches, on the other hand, will pick and choose whatever moral presuppositions there are in neoliberal morality and say, well, this part's true and you're bad because your neoliberal morality violates itself. In other words, not actually resisting. And you know what happens when you do actually resist? Well, you get a Vice article written about you. Pastor Doug Wilson of Moscow, Iowa. Or sorry, Idaho, not Iowa. He was, uh, just last week, about six days ago on September 28th, subject to a new attempt at canceling him, even though he is a normal, reformed pastor who teaches the same things you would have heard out of any Reformed church 200 years ago. But see, he's resisting. He's resisting everything, and that means that it is time to cancel him. Now, why are we bringing this up this week? Because it is not just what Vice did. It is how the whole church, just like the children of Israel followed this non-believing news rag to try to cancel a guy. Doug Wilson here is basically Naboth. <laughs> and uh, Vice is Jezebel. Vice is acting a lot like Jezebel of, hey Christian world, uh, this guy did this stuff. We're, gonna, we're just going to say that he did. And don't worry about the Eighth Commandment. This is, uh, this is what he did, and um, you should cancel him. So let's get right into it. This is from Vice.com, an article entitled, Inside the Church that Preaches, Wives Need to Be Led with a Firm Hand. Evangelical Pastor Douglas Wilson wrote that men conquer and women surrender. Christ Church survivors are starting to speak out. In 2000, Jean, then 16 years old, moved with her mother to Moscow, Idaho, after her parents separated. Jean is a pseudonym due to safety concerns, of course. Men and children, prompted by an email from Christ Church, met them at their new home, a split-level rental, to unload the moving truck. Their new city was a beautiful place, says Jean, where flowers bloom in well-curated beds. Christmas lights are up year-round and police still ride bicycle. Moscow is an idyllic university town most notably anchored by the University of Idaho, dotted by historic buildings and known for its thriving arts scene. The in-town farmer's market is populated by friendly, well-dressed Kirkers, a local shorthand for mother, m- members of Mother Kirk, the nickname for Christ Church, which boasts about 900 congregants in the town of 25,000. Christchurch is a communal ecosystem unto itself, with affiliated institutions throughout Main Street and the Business District, the K-12 Logos School, a publishing house, Canon Press, an unaccredited pastoral ministry program, Gray Friars Hall, and a private college, New St. Andrews. Jean and her mother hadn't joined Christ Church before they arrived, but Jean had plans to attend New St. Andrews. She thought that it was like any number of religiously affiliated schools and that Christ Church was just another church. It is just such a sweet town, said Jean. You'd never guess there was such hatred. Oh. See what this article is doing? Buttering you up. Trying to emotionally manipulate you and describe this like they're writing some sort of fictional story. And in fact, they, uh, they skirt the line on fiction because we don't know whether or not this Gene person even exists. We were just told this is a pseudonym to protect an identity. Well, let's keep reading though. Again, with one eye towards what they're trying to do and an, another eye for what's really going on here. Depending upon whom you ask, the town either hosts a Calvinist utopia or a patriarchal cult in which women must submit or face discipline at home and at church. Mother Kirk can be a joyous, faithful community, but the conservative congregation is also at odds with Moscow's more liberal population, surrounding Lata County, voted for President Biden in 2020. Depending upon whom you ask, the article repeats itself because of course they do it, uh, the town hosts either a Calvinist utopia or a patriarchal cult in which women must submit or face discipline at home and at church. At the center of it all is notoriously controversial Douglas Wilson, the firebrand pastor who's been presiding over his Mother Kirk fiefdom for more than 40 years. Ah, they're loading the deck more. Controversial, notorious, a firebrand, and it's his personal fiefdom. They're giving these words to you to show that no, this is not just Reporting. This is them letting you know that, yes, they really do think this is an evil, tyrannical, patriarchal bastard. But let's keep going here. To learn about Christ Church's culture of abuse and social control, Vice has interviewed 12 former and current church members and Lagos students and reviewed court and medical documents, church correspondence, and business filings. Ex-Kirkers describe a punitive community in which women are told they must defer to church leaders and cannot say no to their husbands. Men are taught to strictly control their homes and those who speak out can be isolated and harassed. (sighs) So, now they've pulled out this double layering here. They've buttered you up emotionally. They've buttered you up with loaded words. To, to make it feel more dramatic. This is a dramatic reading of an article here. But then, in the midst of this accusation here, they're also saying, But we did our homework, so it is totally true. So, it's dramatic, but it's true. Neener, neener, neener. Well, let's keep reading here. During Jean's first year as a non-matriculating student at New St. Andrews, Christ Church's college of about 150 students, She met a charming, handsome upperclassman. His father was a deacon at Mother Kirk. By her second year, they started dating, and soon he said he wanted to marry her. I had stars in my eyes, remembers Jean, Uh, but then he got physical. I was a virgin, and it scared me. Within their first year of dating, heavy petting turned to coercive sex. He'd get her drunk and refuse to accept her wishes not to have sex. He refused condoms. Jean, who had been raised on a steady diet of purity movement books, felt like she had no choice but to marry him, or I was somehow unclean and unworthy. Before they got married, she joined the church, taking covenant vows in front of the congregation. After her vows, Kirkers came up and shook her hand, saying how beautiful she was, that's a big deal to men in leadership, says Jean. They brag about how their women are more beautiful than pagans' wives. Mm. So, it wouldn't be a cancellation attempt if there wasn't an accusation of sexual abuse and rape. That, while this has nothing to do with Doug Wilson, this is some bastard out here who, if it's true was coercing a girlfriend into fornication and getting her drunk, a sinner of sinners. You're supposed to, as the reader, reflect this on Doug Wilson and claim that he's responsible for it. But, let's keep reading here. The wedding, officiated by Wilson, was four years after she moved to Moscow. Starting nine months after they were married, they had a, a baby every other year until the couple had four children. One night after their first was born, her husband came home drunk after she was asleep. He pulled her over, lifted her nightgown. She told him not tonight, that she was tired. He got angry. She tried clawing away, then pushing him away with her arms. He pinned her down so he used her she used her legs to kick him. That's when he unbuttoned his pants. When he was done, he passed out drunk, and I locked myself in the bathroom and cried. She was bruised, and her insides bled. Now, remember, what they're trying to do is say, this is Doug Wilson's fault, this is this church's fault, and by extension, all of Christianity's fault. Well, at least Christianity that doesn't bend the knee here. But what is actually happening? What they're trying to get you to believe is that, So Vice readers can be very, very angry about it. But then, what are they, what's really going on here? We have no clue. This is one individual who went to Vice and said this. If they exist, we don't know. They have a pseudonym. This is like a news article that says, sources say. And if it really did happen, this is terrible by all means. This is some awful stuff. But if everything's by pseudonym, and all these citations and documents that Vice claims to have aren't being shown, what is this testimony worth to you? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. But that's not how cancel culture works. In cancel culture, it is the accusation itself that has power, even if it is a complete and total Lie, Going all the way back down to Mattress Girl. But, let's keep reading here. Uh, Jean called a Kirker friend about it the next day. The friend attended a Christchurch plant, a seedling congregation based in Christchurch's doctrine and culture, and she said the same thing that was going on in her marriage. Marital rape, it seemed, was normal. So Jean didn't report it. Jean's husband raped her over and again a couple of times a week for about a decade, either with violence or by waiting until after she took a prescription sleeping pill. Sometimes I'd wake up with him having me, or I'd wake up the next morning and be bleeding or see the signs. Jean has since been diagnosed with PTSD from sexual assault. Oh, Years into her marriage, Jean went to several pastors at Trinity Reformed, a Moscow Christ Church plant, and told them her husband had been raping her. Although they did not notifi- they did notify Christ Church leaders, because her then-husband's father was an elder who could be disciplined if his son continued to sin, the pastors at Trinity, quote, "...all told me not to report it, and that I was wrong. These pastors told me a wife is not allowed to tell her husband no." Ah, now we're expanding it. Now we're expanding it. So I said, this is the first time I've ever read this article, by the way. I said this would go from here is one individual who, if he exists and everything, is an evil man. But they don't want to blame that guy. No, they want to blame Doug Wilson. So they're constructing this ladder to lead you to the conclusion that Doug Wilson and all of this Christchurch community is all horribly evil so starts out with this rapist husband then it moves on to uh, the friends who all they've been getting raped too it's just rape everywhere in moscow idaho you can't walk five paces without getting raped by some some husband from the christ church congregation and then they say the pastors in the seedling church, next rung of the ladder here, oh, they're all just putting it under the rug. They're, they are firmly pro-rape here. They are firmly pro-beating women, getting them drunk, and putting them on prescription pills. That's what Vice wants you to believe. Because they're building a ladder to this character assassination. So let's keep reading. Gene's then-husband's drinking increased. She says he held her against walls, slammed a lot of doors, pounded the walls, once pointed a loaded gun at her, raped her with a champagne bottle. The pastors at Trinity told her not to go to the police, not to separate. Eventually, she prepared for divorce and left the Christ Church community, knowing she'd just be excommunicated if she tried to stay. One woman's counselor called her after the split, telling Jean that she was causing her husband to turn... To porn, now that I was divorcing him. In the time since leaving the Christchurch community, Jean's car has been vandalized regularly, the air let out of her tires several times. Online, she's had to block Kirkers, including teachers from Lagos, angry about her divorce. I have been called a whore, bitch, and cunt, she said. Mmm. So, more rungs on the ladder. Now it's everybody. It's the whole community. It's the entire church just going after her and painting the picture that Vice wants you to believe of a ridiculous Christian Taliban that is okay with drunkenness and rape and pornography use so long as they, uh, they can point at a woman and say, well, this is what you deserve. This is honestly what Vice wants you to believe. They think you're that stupid. Now again, is there a chance that this really happened? That an entire congregation of 900 people, plus uh, mini-churches, seedling churches around it, all are part of a gigantic rape cult that hates women and decides to vandalize cars, prevent reporting to the police, and threatens them. That is 100% fine of making your wife bleed from her vagina with a champagne bottle and pointing a gun at her. 100% okay with that. But not okay at all with you saying something about it. Or divorcing the man. Really. Is that, is there a chance that that's true? That we have 900 extremely wicked cult members in Idaho, time now. Oh sure, I would give it a very small chance that that's happening. But this is a motivated article. It's clear. And why do I keep bringing this up? We'll get to that. But let's go ahead and keep reading the article here. A man penetrates, conquers, and colonizes. Cigar puffing and presenting like a Christian philosopher king on YouTube videos, Pastor Doug Wilson is a radical provocateur, even among outspoken Christian conservatives, and appears to relish Twitter wars and blog battles. In the 1970s, he became pastor of Christ Church, which is now influential within the communion of Reformed Evangelical churches, a denomination Wilson helped found that includes more than 100 churches nationally. In 2003, 94 ecclesiastical charges were brought against uh, Wilson by his denomination, from improperly using church funds to pay off students' casino debts to carnal threatening of others, but the charges were ultimately dropped. Last year, Wilson published a novel called Ride Sally Ride about a Christian man who runs his neighbor's sexbot wife uh, named Sally through a trash compactor, and YouTube recently removed Wilson's video making a moral argument for fake vaccine passports. Wilson declined a request for comment for this article, but did provide a link to a library of defenses for his past controversies. In his book, Father Hunger, the pastor writes that a lack of fatherly authority in biblical masculinity, one that does not simper and lisp, is the root of various modern failings, including the poison of egalitarianism between genders. He has written... The sexual act cannot be made into an egalitarian pleasuring party. Instead, he argues that a man penetrates, conquers, colonizes plants, while a woman receives, surrenders, accepts, and that true authority and true submission are therefore an erotic necessity. So, what have we noticed here? It's almost like a non-sequitur how this article immediately goes to Doug Wilson. As if, now that they've built their ladder... They've reached their goal. Now you climb the ladder straight up to Doug Wilson, who's the evil mastermind of all of it. Oh no. And then it says things that, of course, violate neoliberal morality, like the concept of egalitarianism. Which is, in case y'all haven't noticed, the sine qua non of neoliberalism is equality. That's basically the primal tenet, the number one philosophical presumption you must make if you are going to be part of today's neoliberal order. So, Vice, knowing their audience, says, And all of this happens at the helm of a man who doesn't believe in equality. I know, it's so terrible. But let's keep going here. The idea is pervasive. In Wilson's wife Nancy's book, The Fruit of Her Hands... She describes wives as lovely enclosed gardens cultivated for marital sex. But of course, a husband is never trespassing in his own garden. In 2017, Jean says, Jean, coming back here, says another member of the church told her a man is allowed to rape his wife. Other survivors within the Christ Church community have stories of a culture of allowance around abuse. Former church member Natalie Greenfield was 14 when Greyfriars Hall student Jamin White, who was in his mid-20s, started sexually abusing her. So, Natalie Greenfield, by the way, real person. Real person, and uh, she has a a MoscowID.net article. So, this one, we don't know about Jean. Jean could be real. Jean could be fake. Gene could be a liar. Gene could be telling the truth. We don't know. But this person, Natalie Greenfield, is a real person. So, ooh, Vice is now mixing up some some real names up and saying that Natalie Greenfield, at 14 years old, was molested, being sexually abused by an individual named uh, Jamin White. J-A-M-I-N-W-I-G-H-T. Ah, hmm, okay. In 2005, when Greenfield reported the abuse to police, Wilson asked the investigating officer to give leniency to White. Wilson cast their sexual interactions as the result of a parent-arranged courtship, something Greenfield maintains is untrue. But according to emails gathered in an extensive analysis of Wilson by re- Reacher, researcher Rachel Schubin. Uh, The judge seemed to accept Wilson's narrative and rejected a more stringent plea agreement under charges of sexual abuse of a child. After White's conviction on a lesser charge of injury to a child, Christchurch Plant Trinity Reformed emailed congregants thanking those praying for White. Following his release, Trinity funded $3,000 towards sending White on a Haitian mission trip. In 2013, White was charged with attempted strangulation of his wife and later found guilty of domestic battery. Mm, okay. Wilson also officiated the wedding of Stephen Sittler, a new, a former New St. Andrews convict student convicted of lewd contact with a child under 16, despite Sittler's parole officer's objections. Uh, Sittler, on lifetime parole due to the number of victims he confessed abusing, could not be unsupervised with children. Wilson maintains a unique role in the Sittler saga, saying he encouraged the father who discovered the abuse to report it to the police. But Wilson later welcomed Sittler back to Christ Church with a chaperone, and at Sittler's wedding, according to one guest, Wilson explained that sometimes people need to get married so the flesh can be contained. Using a wife as a sexual decoy to distract Sittler from children didn't work. Later, a judge ruled Sittler must be chaperoned around his infant son due to admitted sexual stimulation resulting from contact with the baby. A culture that normalizes sexual abuse and harassing survivors is just one manifestation of the authority and control that blends devotion to God with submission to church leaders. For years, Christian blogs such as Spiritual Sounding Board and the Wartburg Watch have detailed sometimes anonymous accounts of Christ Church's spiritual abuse a phenomenon typically defined as faith leaders creating a toxic culture within a church or community and using their position to shame and control. Kirkers have long been afraid to speak out. That may be changing. A wave of former and current church members are stepping forward now thanks to a new YouTube channel. On Courageous Empathy, host Kevin McGill, a Seventh-day Adventist pastor, interviews ex-Kirkers about their scarring experiences with the church. Still, Christ Church under Wilson, has been expanding in both footprint and influence. Really. So first off, those two examples they gave here, uh, from uh, Rachel Shubin researching and everything, we have this Natalie Greenfield who was sexually abused with a something weird going on in the background, and then this Stephen Sittler, a pedophile, Both of these, we're led to believe here that Doug Wilson is 100% responsible for everything that happened there. Case closed, donezo. If we treated every single pastor like that, that way, as responsible for what their congregation members do or say, or even what their friends say, would there be any pastors at all ever lord knows you would have to take the entirety of the catholic church the roman catholic church and just abolish it everybody just fired right now done gone and by the way also the southern baptist church and everybody reformed every lutheran church because pastors preside over churches and who is in churches sinners so what are what do sinners do they sin And what are pastors supposed to do when somebody is a penitent sinner? They are supposed to relate forgiveness to that sinner. If they sin again, you can say maybe the pastor could have done some better stuff. But at the end of the day, Doug Wilson is not responsible for what Stephen Sittler did as a child molester. He's not. Vice bringing it up like he is is to claim that literally every single pastor needs to be fired right now for anybody that ever does anything bad. Or better yet, at least according to the writers of vice.com here, pastors need to go to jail for crimes that their congregants do. Because right now they're claiming that it is Wilson's brainwashing culture of sexual abuse that leads to him being directly responsible for this. They want him going to jail. Good luck with that, pal. But Vice here is basically advocating for abolishing the entirety of the church, which, of course, that is what the godless pagans at vice.com, they would love that, wouldn't they? But let's keep reading here. Mother Kirk in Spiritual Takeover. Much of Doug Wilson's work is arguably the continuation of that of his father, Jim Wilson. In 1971, Jim Wilson moved to the Moscow, Idaho area to start a Christian bookstore after retiring from the Navy. The elder Wilson's 1964 book, Principles of War, a handbook on strategic evangelism, is a how-to for spiritual takeover of individuals, cities, and nations. Doug Wilson has described Moscow as a city right-sized for spiritual conquest. If all continues according to plan, Mother Kirk's dominion over Moscow will deepen as its influence spreads. They're gonna threaten your way of life, everybody! This is... This is evil! These are Christian terrorists with weapons like evangelism and the Bible! Uh, Let's keep reading here. There are tensions in Moscow between the Kirkers and other town residents wary of land purchases by business owners affiliated with the church. The pandemic underscored perceived camps within the business community, particularly as Christ Church members protested a local mask ordinance. Doug Wilson's son. Nate and two grandsons were charged with 13 misdemeanors for posting anti-mask stickers and anti-government drawings around downtown Moscow. You love the masks. They're going against the masks. You're bad. (laughs) People in a church are going to have businesses. That's evil. I digress. This is so transparent. So transparent. But let's keep reading. As Wilson has built out the church's holdings, he has protected his empire through theology that demands submission and church discipline. And for those who do not comply, excommunication and occasional online bullying. For Kirkers, speaking up takes courage. There is a regular section in the printed church bulletin listing the names of those who have strayed. As one former member describes, a list of the excommunicated, along with a prayer request for repentance from sin. It functionally serves as a record of people whom Kirkers ice out. Families cut off loved ones over leaving the church. Others, as Jean found out, lash out against ex-members with harassment. Small businesses suddenly lose customers. While it is, and while it is hard to prove a boycott, the timing suggests as much. The tight-knit Christchurch community, which provides so much, can also be quickly taken away. Wilson's influence. Wilson's influence extends beyond church campuses in Moscow. Mm. Yes, pointing the finger directly at Doug Wilson for whatever people do. Mm -hmm. Wilson's influence extends beyond church campuses in Moscow. Christchurch's Logos School serves as a template for the classical Christian school movement. He helped form the Association of Classical and Christian Schools to accredit similar institutions, now numbering more than 200 accredited and full members nationally on its website. The organization has since distanced itself from Wilson. Some former Logos students describe the enforcement of modest dress, godly gender roles, and prompt and cheerful obedience to teachers, as well as prohibitions of romantic relationships between students. The school, like the private homes of Christchurch congregants, also seemed to be ripe grounds for abuse. In 2017, Michaela Peterson, who attended Lagos through 11th grade, and other students reported inappropriate touching by one teacher to Lagos school board. According to Peterson, one male teacher would feel up Peterson and other girls in the hallways and rub their backs without permission in the classroom. In one instance, the teacher said to the class, You see, everything has a male and a female part. The projector cord is the male, and you stick his penis in the outlet's vagina as he struck the cord and then pushed it into the socket. After the students went to Lagos as superintendent in 2017, this teacher retired with an email from the superintendent thanking him for his service. Landed a job at the classical Christian press and runs a Moscow small business. According to Peterson, at least one other Lagos teacher has been accused of sexual abuse with a student, as reported to police two years after the abuse occurred. Peterson also describes being taught by Lagos teachers, the curse of Cain was black skin, and that black is the color of Satan, and white the color of good. Oh my goodness, they're racist too! All of these people who are being mind-controlled by Douglas Wilson are also evil and racist and sexist and they love rape and penises. I have no clue whether or not those accusations are true. And chances are, the school board officials had no clue either, so they forced a guy to retire so that there wouldn't be any further controversy or lawsuits and that the students got their stinking scalps. Sounds like everything's copacetic, right? Vice isn't done. Camilla Niska, who is now 25 and attended Christ Church in Lagos through 11th grade, describes being spanked with a wooden paddle in 6th grade once by a female administrator, once by a male principal. In a copy of the 2012 2013 Lagos Parent Student Handbook provided to Vice, the discipline policy states quote, The principal may require restitution, janitorial work, spanking, or any other measures consistent with biblical guidelines which may be appropriate. Raised by an adoptive single mom, Niska says she didn't get touched by adult men, so being bent in a prone position, hands on her principal's desk as he struck her, haunted her dreams. Other boundaries were violated. Later in 10th grade, when Niska was covertly seeing a boy at Lagos, Nancy Wilson started pulling her into classrooms to talk and asking if they'd done anything physical. Were they in a relationship? Was she keeping pure? No. Spanking is one thing or another. I mean, personally, as a parent, I think it's okay to spank your kid, apply a little bit of wisdom to the seed of knowledge, and whether or not you uh, want a teacher to do that to your kid is kind of between you and the school. But, remember, this is Vice. Vice is writing to a whole group of people that are probably all very anti-spanking. Probably big, big fans of Stefan Molyneux. But let's keep going. Since Niska left the school and church... She has heard about Nancy and Doug asking multiple students about their sexual activity. He just wants to sit there and listen to everything that transpired between these two teen lovers like all the graphic detail, says Niska. Former Lagos student Helen Shores, 37, was called in for a solo meeting with Doug Wilson after she lost her virginity at 16 to her then-boyfriend, who had confessed they'd had sex to his parents. Wilson, quote, "'Wanted me to tell him in detail everything that happened when we had sex,' says Shores, "'who was told by Wilson that her boyfriend had already told him everything. "'So I needed to tell him in absolute detail what sexual experience happened, "'how many times it happened, all that kind of stuff.'" "'Mother Kirk has grand expansion plans for the Lagos school. "'30 acres of land has been purchased on the northwest edge of Moscow "'to build a new school complex.'" A promotional video on the fundraising campaign page touts itself as a reminder that much of what we are doing in education is exported to hundreds of classical Christian schools across the country and beyond. Over recent years, multiple secret groups for Lagos survivors have been organized online. Among those who work to help survivors is Sarah Bader, Bader, um, maybe if I say it really quick, Bader, 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 who left Lagos school as a kid. She has appeared five times on Kevin McGill's YouTube channel. Bader and others' public appearances on the channel have prompted more survivors to reach out. Since the channel's start in May, Bader and McGill together have heard from 27 victims of some sort of abuse, spiritual, physical, emotional, and sexual, from within the church or its schools. After Bader appeared on the channel, someone sent her an ominous picture of a knife via Instagram. She has worn a pistol on her hip since last year when she spoke up against Christchurch members strategically buying up business property in her own neighboring small town, Troy, population 900. She noticed an armed Kirker had made a habit of sitting outside her business. Hmm. So, I got a question for you. Is Doug Wilson in every single classroom at his schools? Is he sitting there monitoring the students and just being mean? No? Okay. Do you think that he put out this message of like, hey, let's be weird and molest kids? Did Doug Doug Wilson pass out a molestation order? Do you think that's likely? No? Okay. So what we have here in this article is an accusation that... This institution, this Mother Kirk or Christ Church thing, headed up by Pastor Douglas Wilson, is rotten to its core, loves rape, just absolutely loves rape and pedophilia and molestation and abuse, and um, also is trying to take over the world, pinky, or at least take over Moscow. Excel saga style, right? we got to take over the city before we move on to taking over the world. One problem with that, I mentioned earlier that if you take parishioners doing bad things and you hold the pastor so accountable to it that everything is his fault, to the point where you're kind of insinuating he should go to jail for whatever crimes his parishioners commit. What institution survives that test? Which institution? What what institution survives literally any of this? There's more child molesting going on in California school districts alone than has ever happened under the Roman Catholic Church. This has been proven over and over and over again. Do we blow up all the schools in California now? And should every single superintendent of a county school district be put in jail for what what bad egg teachers do? Should we just disavow the concept of education entirely? Why, if Vice Vice wrote articles like this about any single institution in the United States or across the world, you're going to find bad people and sinful people in them. But Vice would not tell you that because President Joseph Biden is uh, presiding over a country that is systematically oppressing the poor across the entire world, hates her own citizens, but loves giving money to Israel, that we should go, therefore, abolish America. Maybe they would say that, because of course vice would. But they wouldn't mean it. Because that's stupid. And you don't say things like this in good faith. Now, before we read on in the article, let me have a caveat here. I'm no fan of Doug Wilson. I don't personally. I don't like the guy very much. He says some good stuff every now and then, but he's a covenant theologian Calvinist. He and I would get along like, um, well, like a pigeon in a hive full of bees. <laughs> I'm a Lutheran, a confessional Lutheran. You're not gonna hear me, you know, shouting from the rooftops. That, oh yes, Doug Wilson is just the best theologian or just the best pastor. And I'm not a big fan of his uh, congregational methods either. He's clearly some sort of semi-episcopal top-downer. He's a guy that likes hierarchy quite a bit. Just like John Calvin in Geneva, you got Doug Wilson in Moscow. And it's very, very similar to papism. And I don't like papism. I don't like the idea that you have to have this big infallible figurehead out here who never admits to being wrong and never thinks he's capable of being wrong. That's not me. But I can tell you that when cancellation attempts like this happen, we still have to be the adult in the room and say, you know, however much of this stuff is true... Is the therefore provided to us by Vice News, by implication and other silly things, their therefore and their reasoning out of everything, is that really applicable here? And is this really the right thing to do or the right thing to say? Like Doug Wilson is out there personally providing over every single church-commanded rape between a man and his wife in Christchurch, Moscow, Idaho. No. This is clearly, no matter how much of it is true, it's still, there's an issue of the Eighth Commandment here, where that's honestly just not in my purview. It's not my prerogative to take care of that. But, with a critical eye, let's keep going. Let's endure through this Garbage rag article here. Counseling sessions with school children. This is on the section Lordship in the Home. Counseling sessions with school children, church members, and married couples were one of the main mechanisms through which Christchurch pastors engendered a culture of male domination. Although Doug Wilson holds pastoral and counseling roles, he does not have formal theological training, did not graduate seminary, and is not a licensed counselor. Oh, now we're going for our... uh, our culture's insane certification worship. This guy doesn't have degrees. O- okay. One woman who reached out to McGill was Kimberly McCullough, whose ex-husband was an early Doug Wilson disciple. McCullough, 56, was a dutiful homeschooling mother. She read the Bible with her children. She recalls her husband saying, no wife of mine is going to work, and needing her- his permission to cut her hair. But when he started disappearing from the home for long stretches, he still demanded sex on his return. Her husband was absent so much, when he did come home, she was left feeling, who is this strange man who wants to take my body? Okay, not to submit to his wishes would be sinful. She knew from Doug Wilson's teaching, and Jim Wilson, Doug Wilson's father, made this clear in counseling sessions with McCullough. Okay. McCullough says she was counseled if the wife did not concede she was in sin, and believed a woman could be excommunicated from the church for refusal to have sex with her husband. Faith was central to her. She couldn't understand why sometimes her throat would seem to close, her body suddenly gripped with panic or anxiety attacks when undiagnosed for years. By the way, that's a lie. When it says a uh she was counseled if the wife did not concede she was in sin and believed that a woman could be excommunicated from the church for refusal to have sex with her husband, Doug Wilson has so many pages and so many things he said where, um, no, that church and that community does not excommunicate wives for refusing to have sex with their husbands. Period. And uh, Doug Wilson does respond to this article and it is a blog in May blog post that we'll bring up here with a huge... Big ol' long list of times he said, no marital rape is wrong, and don't do it, and no, if a wife refuses sex to her husband, well, we can work on that issue. There is a time when it is sin, but that does not mean you excommunicate her. Anyway, the counseling sessions were sometimes later wielded against disobedient members. When McCullough finally left her husband after 18 years, the elder Wilson, who describes himself on dust jackets as a pastor, counselor, and director of community Christian ministries, was called as a witness in their divorce case. McCullough remembers Wilson, claiming he did not have to maintain confidentiality from their counseling sessions, as he is not ordained. He saw himself more as a Bible teacher, he noted in court recordings. Her ex-husband could not be reached for comment, but the details of their marriage and divorce were confirmed with courtroom recordings. Like his father, Doug Wilson articulates those lessons in his book, reforming marriage, writing, wives need to be led with a firm hand. And it is tragic that wholesale abdication on the part of modern men has made the idea of lordship in the home such a laughable thing. In Federal Husband, Doug Wilson asserts men must assume full spiritual responsibility for the household, including any wifely negligence, to submit in, quote, spending habits, television viewing habits, weight, rejection of his leadership, laziness in cleaning the house, lack of responsiveness to sexual advances. Such a husband must confess failure in leading his wife, outline clear expectations, and repeatedly point out her failures. If she complies, he must move up a step, requiring another of her duties be done. If he continues to rebel, it's appropriate to call in the church elders. Now, that sounds all evil and patriarchal or whatever, but Doug Wilson has been called out by blogs like Dalrock for not being patriarchal enough. Like, listen, let me reread that. It is tragic, Douglas Wilson wrote, that wholesale abdication on the part of modern men has made the idea of lordship in the home such a laughable thing. That's a feminist line. Uh, Dall Rock makes it pretty clear that the the point of the conservative is to hold a man down while the feminist robs him. And this idea that men just mysteriously, or sometime around the 1960s, just magically gave up all their responsibilities and women had to tragically, heroically step in. That's Doug Wilson basically speaking like a feminist. Okay? And... Then he says that a man has to take responsibility for his wife's sucking. Which, by the way, I agree. If you're married, her sin is your sin. You're one. You're responsible for it. And that is not him saying that you have to be an evil tyrant or whatever to be a good leader and head of your home. This is Wilson hammering men, not women. Anyway. Anyway. Many of the emotional dynamics ex-members described in the church run parallel to coercive control in abusive relationships, while theological demands for submission normalize the same pattern at home. Church leaders, doubling as counselors, know how to hurt rebellious members. In a letter on Christchurch letterhead, the church's Center for Biblical Counseling Ministry counselor, Mike Lawyer, informed one woman after hundreds of hours of counseling she was being suspended from the table of the Lord until she confessed and repented after leaving it up to her husband to clean and prep food, putting her kids in daycare, and ignoring the God-given roles including submission. Another woman, Corey Phillips, is a 51-year-old homeschooling mother of 10 children and attended Providence Church, planted by Doug Wilson's brother Gordon, now a teacher at Christ Church's New St. Andrews College. When Phillips began to raise concerns about... Doug Wilson's blog to her Church Leaders, and on Facebook, a church leader cast Phillips as a dangerous woman, warning a friend's husband to shield his wife from Phillips and spread a mix of misinformation and decades-old details from pastoral counseling sessions. Vice is doing the same damn thing here. What's their problem? But also, keep in mind, they're saying that these people are bad and abusive. For taking what the Bible says and enforcing it. The Bible says, wives submit to your husbands. And the church is there to enact church discipline against erring members. That's from 1 Corinthians. So, vice is mad that these people believe in the Bible, at least according to their understanding. I understand I'm a Lutheran, they're Calvinists. But they believe in the Bible, and they're doing something about it. I, would they be mad if somebody stole somebody's car? Like a member of Christ Church in Moscow stole a car, and then that became known to the church, so they were withheld from the table of the Lord until they returned the car and did their time in jail? Would vice be like, how How dare you enforce the commandment to not steal? That's evil and abusive. You're hating minorities or whatever. Or you must hate thieves, blah, 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 blah. That's what Vice is basically doing here. But either way, for others, counseling in-house keeps sensitive matters under Wilson's authority. Hilary Medina attended Christ Church from around age 9 to 21 and was 15 or 16 when her mother told her she needed to speak to Nancy Wilson. Unbeknownst to Medina then, her oldest sister's husband had sent a letter to Doug suggesting her father had done something inappropriate to that sister when she was young. Nancy Wilson asked Medina if she felt safe around her father, and Medina admitted she thought she had been watched in the shower through the bathroom window. According to Medina, Nancy confirmed this had been her dad, and He confessed to it, as well as inappropriately touching her. In a request for comment on this story, her father confirmed on a few occasions watching her in the shower from the window. About a week later, the family was called into Doug Wilson's office to hear her father's confession. Her father recalls now that he confessed to inappropriate behavior towards his eldest daughter a year or two earlier in Wilson's office. At this meeting, Medina's father asked her to forgive him for looking at her in the shower and other stuff that you don't know about. End quote. But that her father felt she, he didn't need to detail since he she wasn't fully aware she remembers back rubs that strayed to her butt the sides of her breasts her father says he does not recall this but deferred to medina's memory while unclear whether criminal under idaho law unwelcoming touching or er, touching could potentially have violated the law against lewd conduct with children under 16 or other statutes in her response to a request for comment on this and other interactions with church members and students, Nancy Wilson said, quote, Like thousands of churches, we do provide counseling and input for people, but it would be utterly unprofessional for us to reveal even their names, still less the content of the conversation. In Wilson's office that day, the family cried and held hands. Today, her father says his behavior was his own choice, not caused by Wilson, and that Wilson counseled him to avoid being alone with Medina. Yet Medina remembers Doug Wilson telling her something she's never forgotten. If, down the road, a bird or something hit the window when she wasn't in the shower, she may think about her dad watching her, and that wouldn't necessarily mean she was bitter, she was told. But she should confess bitterness right away. Medina also remembers Nancy Wilson telling her in their subsequent counseling sessions that her father hadn't done anything illegal. When Medina would uh, mention, for example, a hug where his hand had strayed to her But Nancy Wilson suggested she give him the benefit of the doubt. That's the Christian thing to do, she was told. So, that's the article. Of course, there's a couple links to domestic violence and sexual assault hotlines and everything. Written by Sarah Stankorb. <laughs> oh, boy. You know, for some of our guys here, let's look at... Oh, Sarah Stankorb. Um, looks about how you'd think she'd look. So, Doug Wilson on his blog and may blog uh, website here it's dougwills.com. he brings something up that's very interesting each one of these people out there they they really don't have multiple witnesses for each thing so what is first timothy Five nineteen through twenty one say against an elder, receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. Then that sin rebuke before all, that others may also may fear. I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these things without preferring one before another, doing nothing by partiality. So the biblical requirement here is two or three witnesses. In Doug Wilson's case, that onslaught of accusations and stuff that's one witness for one thing he brings this up in his response uh the if you're interested in reading it it's called uh, like a tabloid tarantula on blog and may blog he brings up that this is each one of these is one witness with one accusation and then another witness with another accusation there's no two or three at the same time each one of these And then they take things that Doug Wilson is not responsible for, at least not in a strict cause-and-effect way, and they make it like, um, well, he's the one that's, that's screwing up here. That's really, really bad. Now, of course, Vice is not a Christian publication. Vice is Vice. Okay, we know what they're about. But what vice is doing here, in the way this has shaken up the Christian world, is very, very, very emblematic of how the body of Christ right now engages in cancel culture. For instance, this is from uh, Doug Wilson's book, um, Fidelity. Quote, must my wife have sex with me whenever I want it? His answer, don't be a fathead. Well, it was a serious question. And his answer? Yes, she must have sex whenever you want it. And you must refrain whatever she wants to refrain. You have authority over her body, but never forget that she also has authority over your body. So there's Doug Wilson rejecting marital rape. There you go. And that's one out of dozens of other times... Where Doug Wilson has condemned or barred or commanded against marital rape. There you go. But that's not what we're here for. Various Twitter accounts. Various pastors. Various theologians. Various nerds. Various people out there. That We all know, I'm sure you immediately have at least one guy you're thinking of or one girl that you're thinking of that has brought this up, they have all been out there saying, this disqualifies Doug Wilson. This is terrible. He needs to be brought under severe discipline or fired because, oh gosh, this is just so evil and this accumulation of accusations make him evil. They're they're doing the same thing that the Israelites did that Jezebel commanded. Have some people lobby some accusations at Naboth. Everybody else, all the faithful, believing Israelites, go stone them to death. After all, two or three witnesses. That's how this worked. A non-believing, pagan, evil publication, Vice Magazine, went out of their way to basically signal to the Christian world, Hey, Take this, stone this guy. Now, Doug Wilson responds, saying, Every Christian leader, pastor, board member, writer, thought influence, or teacher who read that Vice article and then publicly voiced their solidarity or sympathy with it in any way, shape, or form has disqualified themselves. They are DQ'd, disqualified, flat out. They need to step down. Not only are they DQ'd on moral grounds, but they might as well step down now before the methods and procedures they have internalized and endorsed come back around when it is time to devour them. As Churchill once put it, appeasers are those who throw others to the alligators, hoping to be the last one eaten. But alligators keep on getting hungry, even after all the strident conservatives are gone. Hmm. That's true. Each and every person out there who went out of their way to condemn Doug Wilson... As this mastermind of evil who's totally disqualified himself by, um, well, by vice's implication, creating the Christian rape cult, everybody out there who jumps on that bandwagon, as they have been in the past week, they've disqualified themselves. At least morally, they are in sin. They need to repent, period. Because even if what was said about Doug Wilson is true, Whose business is it? And what does it matter? What is Doug Wilson personally responsible for in this? Did he write out commands to his church telling guys to rape their wives? No, in fact, he said the opposite. Did he go out in his school and say, Let's get teachers to molest kids. Damn it, I want child molestation going on in this school, and if it doesn't happen, I am going to throw a fit. No, that's stupid. But all of these vulture Christians engaging in this kind of tabloid Christianity, jumping to this conclusion that suddenly now Doug Wilson really ought to lose his job. In fact, his house should be burned down, or whatever, or he is just an evil, wicked man, blah, 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 blah. You are doing exactly what that Jezebel vice told you to do. You are following your instructions. And guess what? Even if, even if, Doug Wilson really is the wicked devil. They keep implying that he is. What business is it of yours? Let's go ahead and read from the large catechism here. This is Martin Luther writing on the Eighth Commandment. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. I'm going to start in paragraph 263 if you have it handy here. The third aspect of this commandment concerns us all. It forbids all sins of the tongue by which we may injure or offend our neighbor. False witness is clearly a work of the tongue. Whatever is done with the tongue against a neighbor then is forbidden by God. This applies to false teachers with their corrupt teaching and blasphemy, to false judges and witnesses with their corrupt behavior in court, and their lying and malicious talk outside of court. It applies particularly to the detestable, shameful vice of backbiting or slander by which the devil rides us. Of this much could be said. It is a common vice of human nature that everyone would rather hear evil than good about his neighbor. Evil though we are, we cannot tolerate having evil spoken of us. We want the golden compliments of the whole world, yet we cannot bear to hear the best spoken of others. To avoid this vice, therefore, we should note that nobody has the right to judge and reprove his neighbor publicly, even when he has seen a sin committed, unless he has been authorized to judge and reprove. There is a great difference between judging sin and having knowledge of sin. Knowledge of sin does not entail the right to judge it. I may see and hear that my neighbor sins, but to make him... The talk of the town is not my business. If I interfere and pass sentence on him, I fall into a greater sin than his. When you become aware of a sin, simply make your ears a tomb and bury it until you are appointed a judge and authorized to administer punishment by virtue of your office. Those are called backbiters who are not content just to know but rush ahead and judge. Learning a bit of gossip about someone else, they spread it into every corner, relishing and delighting in it like pigs that roll around in the mud and root around in it with their snouts. This is nothing else than usurping the judgment and office of God, pronouncing the severest kind of verdict and sentence. For the harshest verdict, a judge can pronounce is to declare somebody a thief, a murderer, a traitor, etc. Whoever therefore ventures to accuse his neighbor of such guilt assumes as much authority as the emperor and all magistrates. For though you do not wield the sword, you use your venomous tongue to the disgrace and harm of your neighbor. Therefore, God forbids you to speak evil about another, even though, to your certain knowledge, he is guilty. All the more urgent is the prohibition if you are not sure, but have it only from hearsay. But you say, why shouldn't I speak it if it's the truth? I reply, why don't you bring it before the regular judge? Oh, I cannot prove it publicly. I might be called a liar and sent away in disgrace." Ah, now do you smell the roast? If you do not trust yourself to make your charges before the proper authorities, then hold your tongue. Keep your knowledge to yourself and do not give it out to others. For when you repeat a story that you cannot prove, even if it is true, you appear as a liar. Besides, you act like a knave, for no man should be deprived of his honor and good name unless these have first been taken away from him publicly. Every report, then, that cannot be adequately proved is false witness. No one should publicly assert as truth what is not publicly substantiated. In short, what is secret should be allowed to remain secret, or at any rate be reproved in secret as we shall hear. Therefore, if you encounter somebody with a worthless tongue who gossips and slanders someone, rebuke him straight to his face and make him blush for shame. Then you will silence many a one who otherwise would bring some poor man into disgrace from which he could scarcely clear himself. For honor and good name are easily taken away, but not easily restored. So you see that we are absolutely forbidden to speak evil of our neighbor. Exception is made, however, for civil magistrates, preachers, and parents. For we must interpret this commandment in such a way that evil shall not go unpunished. We have seen that the fifth commandment forbids us to injure anyone physically, and yet an exception is made of the hangman. By virtue of his office, he does not do his neighbor good, but only harm and evil, yet he does not sin against God's commandment, because God of his own accord instituted that office. And as he warns in the fifth commandment, he has reserved to himself the right of punishment. Likewise, although no one has in his own person the right to judge and condemn anyone, yet if they whose duty it is fail to do so, they sin as much as those who take the law into their own hands without such a commission. Necessity requires one to report evil, to prefer charges, to attest, examine, and witness. It is no different from the situation of the physician who, to cure a patient, is sometimes compelled to examine and handle his private parts. Just so, magistrates, parents, even brothers and sisters, and other good friends are under mutual obligation to reprove evil where it is necessary and beneficial." So there is a place, a time and a place to reprove and to condemn sin and to condemn the sin of somebody who has been caught in some sort of terrible thing. My question is, is that anybody's place right now to do that to Doug Wilson? And I ask that knowing full well that confessional Lutheran pastors and theologians went after Doug Wilson. More than one soon as this was published, all of them decided, let's go dogpiling. But is that necessary and beneficial in accordance with the pastoral office as it stands right now? No. Why? Because at the end of the day, this was a calculated smear job, a calculated hit piece designed to give people the impression that douglas wilson is an evil disgusting rape loving child molestation loving tyrant that runs a cult in moscow idaho it is not up to me in any aspect of the pastoral office or any pastor or theologian period to say Therefore, now my job gets kicked into high gear to start publishing condemnations. This is not Luther writing against Rome when Rome's sins were public and the rebuke had to be a public thing because Martin Luther was entrusted as a priest with discharging his office this way. This is not that. This is rolling around in the mud with other pigs deciding this is what you got to do. Because the church right now, like water, is taking the shape of her container and deciding to roll around in the mud with the rest of the cancel culture people under a self-righteous veneer of, oh, well, this is me simply warning people. Come back to me when it's actually necessary and beneficial would you when you see a smoking gun saying douglas wilson commanded rape when you see a smoking gun saying he that he wrote a private letter saying i just love seeing kids get touched inappropriately when you see a smoking gun saying where he said i hate women and i want them to be miserable and i'm so glad that my wife is a self-hating woman when you see that or when it becomes so painfully clear that yes, he is responsible for all of this, then your office comes into play. Then it is your job to condemn that man for the edification and forewarning of your congregation or for the body of Christ as a whole. But this ain't it. Step carefully. Amen. Oh, wait. Before I end up. In case we're thinking here that this is a... me just speaking out my butt here, maybe using the confessions. Just a little warning. From 1st Let's hear the word of the Lord from First Kings chapter 21 again, part 2. Starting in verse 17. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab king of Israel, who is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the Na- vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone to take possession. And you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, Have you killed and also take possession? And you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, In the place where dogs licked up the blood of Naboth shall dogs lick your own blood. Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? He answered, I have found you, because you have sold yourself to do what is evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring disaster upon you, I will utterly burn you up, and will cut off from Ahab every male bond or free in Israel. And I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Baasha, son of Ahijah, For the anger to which you have provoked me, and because you have made Israel to sin. And of Jezebel the Lord also said, The dogs shall eat Jezebel within the walls of Jezreel. Anyone belonging to Ahab who dies in the city, the dogs shall eat. And anyone of his who dies in the open country, the birds of the heaven shall eat. Now right after this, Ahab repents. Jezebel does not. But Ahab still suffers the consequence, the punishment that God pronounces upon him. Ahab repents. I sincerely believe that he is probably the only northern king in Israel that ended up in heaven. But, in spite of this, God still punished him. Let him bleed out in an open field with arrows all over his body. Let's not be Ahab here. Let's not follow That kind of behavior. And let's definitely not cast our lots in and put our lot in with uh, Jezebel here. If you have somebody where there's this cancellation attempt on them, your job, if you're a pastor or a theologian or even a Christian with a big public face, should be to go to them in private and ask, let's help you out let's restore you in a good way. If your church has this much chaos and abuse going on, what can we do to help you get control over it? Cuz this is your household and as a minister, you're supposed to have good control over your household here. Let's let's help you out so this is this isn't a problem anymore. We can't, you know, this shouldn't be something that continues to embarrass the body of Christ on earth. Let's do that and reach out in love instead of rolling around in the mud or circling around this man's cancellation attempt like vultures. Let's be a culture of Christians here. It wouldn't kill us. Amen and amen.